In our study of the book of Zechariah, we have, uh, we're coming to the last couple of chapters. And as we began, uh, chapters 1 through 8, we saw that God was speaking through Zechariah to the Babylonian slash Media Persian empires. Remember, Israel had come under captivity, and God had uh, graciously said he would free them from Babylon and let them return unto the promised land after a 70-year period of time through prophets as, such as Jeremiah. Well, God's word was true, and in fact, uh, God had them released. So chapters 1 through 8, we have them under Babylonian, uh, under Medo-Persian Empire and captivity, and God is instructing them to rebuild the, the temple there in Jerusalem. When we got to chapters 9 and 10, we saw that they were under Grecian, the Grecian Empire, and the Grecian Empire, of course, under Alexander the Great, first his father, then the son. Under Alexander the Great, uh, God gave us all the indication in chapters 9 and 10 how Alexander would come in and take the nation, but miraculously, very miraculously, would spare the city of Jerusalem. Usually, when a king went into Jerusalem, he would level it. Well, uh, under Alexander the Great, the city was not necessarily leveled. In chapter 11, we saw Messiah came on the scene, and Messiah was going to be rejected by his people, his people Israel. He came unto his own, and his own uh, received him not. Now, chapters 11 and 12, we're going to look at, and this is under Antichrist. Now, I, I need to lay out a timeline, because we're going to jump right into the middle. Remember who Zechariah is writing to. Zechariah is writing to his people Israel. And he's going to let them know just what's going to take place in chapters 11 and 12. Just what will happen to Jerusalem in the days of this person of Antichrist. So I'm going to have to back us up a bit so we'll be able to get a picture of what's going on with this person of Antichrist. We'll be looking at a timeline. Now please understand, this isn't for entertainment purposes. This is so that we can know some things about this person of Antichrist. Today, in our day, Antichrist is, uh, is spoken of with a great deal of mystery or mysticism, I don't believe that's so. The scriptures are very plain. Often, often you will go through an Old Testament passage and, and it will be somewhat foggy. There will be some, some distance and we're not exactly sure uh, what, what the word is saying. But as you read through the scriptures, the progressive revelation of the word of God begins to open up and clear up uh, the person that God is referring to. Uh, that is obviously the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's very plain. But the person of Antichrist is made plainer, more and more plain as we go right through the whole Old Testament into the New Testament to show us exactly who he is and his uh, purposes. Now, remember, we're always looking for a key, a key verse. Uh, I, through my life, I have struggled with key verses, looking for a verse that would add some some kind of clarity to a doctrine that perhaps I'm studying. I'm, I'm, not, you know, I'm not always with it all the time, but I'm reading along, reading along, reading along, and then I read a passage. That's the answer. That's what it is. That's how it works out. That's how the plan comes together. And it may not even be something I'm studying presently, but something I've studied in the past, and I just was a little fuzzy on, and God will just open up the word to you and to me. So we're going to see Antichrist. Now, how do we know it's Antichrist? Well, because the Roman Empire has come into play, 
under Rome. The Lord Jesus was, uh, was crucified by the Romans because of the Jews, obviously. And now, this is the, the, the uh, fourth kingdom. Uh, the third kingdom that was to come is the uh, kingdom of Antichrist. Uh, I'm sorry, the fourth kingdom to come was the kingdom of Antichrist. And the minute Messiah was rejected, that became, became the death toll for the nation of Israel. Here's, here's where it's going to end for them. Here is where they are going to be totally annihilated under Rome, never to recover, never to recover until Messiah himself returns to establish his millennial kingdom. So how do we know it's Antichrist? Well, let's look at a few passages. Look at Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 3. In that day, what day is this? In the day of Antichrist. You'll notice that, please, as we go through this. In that day shall I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all peoples. All, the, all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth be gathered together against it. That was never so. There was one Gentile nation after another that would take over Israel. But there's coming a day when all the nations of the earth under Antichrist will attack the nation of Israel. We know that, of course, to be the great battle of Armageddon. We'll look at that as we progress through. But what I want you to notice is God's letting us know this last kingdom, the kingdom, and we'll see this in a moment, the last kingdom that will come, he's going to gather all the nations of the world against Jerusalem. Look at verse 5, verse 5, please, of chapter 12. The governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength, and the Lord of the hosts their God. And that day will I make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among wood, and like a torch of fire in a sheaf. And they shall devour all the peoples round about on the right hand and on the left. And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. So God is going to supernaturally use the Jewish people to defend themselves until Messiah comes and destroys the nations round about Jerusalem. Look, if you would, please, at verse 10. Verse 10, same chapter. I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look on me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. When Messiah comes back in the, in the almost a total annihilation of the nation of Israel, Messiah is going to come, come back and destroy the nations round about them. Look at chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, please. And it shall come to pass, in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left in it. And I will bring the third pot through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will test them as gold is tested. And they shall call on my name and I will hear them and I will say it is my people. And they shall say the Lord is my God. So at the, at the, at the end of this, the, the, almost the total annihilation of the, of the uh, nation of Israel, the Lord's going to come and rescue them and they will be his people forever and to the millennial kingdom, even unto the end of the age, what we know to be the, the new Jerusalem. And it goes on and on. Okay, so when is this going to take place, and what is this last kingdom? Now, I'm going to back you up a bit, and please, most of you know this entirely. I understand this, and, but I want to back you up just to get you a picture of this last king to come. 
the last nation to, uh, to make an attempt to rule the known world. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 2 for a moment, please. Daniel chapter 2. Now understand, you can get five or six or seven or ten or a hundred pastors, Bible teachers together, and they're all going to differ a little bit in some of the timelines. But I'm just going to lay out for you what I believe is the timeline of Antichrist, just so you'll be aware of this last king that's going to come, because it's going to play a very large role in what we know to be <coughs> excuse me, Zechariah's chapter 11 and 12. And I don't think I turned this on. You can hear me from that one, but I'm going to oh, fire this up. Thank you. Uh-oh, now too loud. Okay. You have to turn those down. Yes, okay, let's go on, please. Daniel chapter 2. You know, of course, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and a dream of a world empire, and he, a giant image, and he wanted to know what was this image, and, and his prophets could not tell him that God raises up a man named Daniel to let Nebuchadnezzar know about this image, what this image was all about. And Nebuchadnezzar, of course, is very curious what this is about, who this is, and, and what this relates to, the image and the purpose of the image. So Daniel lays it out for Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2, but where I want you to notice, please, is in verses 40 right through 43. <coughs> In verses 36, 37, 38, 39, he lays out what we know to be the, the, uh, the Babylonian Empire, the Media Persian Empire, and the Grecian Empire. However, in verse 40, he now talks about a fourth empire to come on the scene, a Gentile empire. And the fourth Gentile empire will be the empire of Rome. Well, so how do we know that? Well, because, again, a key passage you check, you're reading the scriptures, you want to know what's happening, and you find, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. In the days of our Lord Jesus, a king, the king of Rome, Caesar of Rome, Caesar Augustus, said all the world must go to be taxed, and the whole world went to be taxed. And God was using this last, or what we know to be the Gentile Empire, the Roman Empire, to, to move Joseph, of course, and Mary to Bethlehem of Judea so that he could be taxed there, and so that's where Messiah would be born. So God's tapestry, beautiful threads through his tapestry to his Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So we read in, in uh, Daniel chapter 2, now in verse 40, the fourth kingdom shall be strong, this is Rome, as iron, for as much as iron breaks in pieces and subdues all things, Things, and as, as iron that breaketh all these, shall they break in pieces and bruise. Rome was a horrendous, horrendous battling machine. They had tanks in their day, not the tanks we would know, of course, but these, these uh, giant rolling machines that they would just roll over people, and the Roman army would build uh, roads directly to their enemy and just roll in with these giant wooden machines. They would roll in with mighty armies to destroy the nations ahead of them. A, a terrible, terrible, ungodly, wicked nation that went against the nation of Israel in the final days. And what happened? Well, here comes this, this machine, this Roman machine that's going to come. He's the fourth empire. Notice in verse 43, And whereas thou saw 
the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of iron, for as much as thou saw iron mingled with clay. Now, what is this referring to when you saw the feet of the image? Well, you have to back up to verse 32, where Daniel is describing the image to Nebuchadnezzar, just opening up the dream in his thinking. Verse 32 of chapter 2, The image's head was of fine gold, its breast and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet part of iron and part of clay. So we, we read about this image where the image now is, is full strength gold, chest and arms of silver, Media Persian Empire, Babylon gold, Media Persian Empire, Grecian Empire, bronze, legs of iron, Rome, and now you have feet of iron and clay. Iron and clay don't, don't mingle together. It doesn't mix together. It loses its strength. There's no cohesiveness. I've mentioned to you before, one of my jobs when I was at the Charlestown Navy Yard was when, when they brought in giant castings to, for, our, for our surface fighting uh, vessels, uh, they would cut off a piece of that casting and it would come to me and a couple other guys that worked in that division, and we would take this casting and we would machine it down so that these giant machines, hydraulic machines, could take it and pull it and pull it and pull it until it broke, till the tensile strength of it would broke. Hundreds of thousands of tons of strength Bang! And you'd see the thing break. It was amazing to, to witness that. But why did they do that? In case the casting had sand in it. If a casting had sand in it, it would be weak. And you wouldn't want one of our surface fighting vessels to, to blow apart. Why? Because we had a weak casting. And so you have this iron, but you have iron mixed with clay. So there's something wrong with this last kingdom. There's, there's no cohesiveness in it. And you'll see that as we progress here. Verse 41 again, and whereas thou saw the feet and toes, part of, uh, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in of it the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest iron mixed with clay. And as the toes of the feet were part iron and part clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou saw uh, iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not adhere one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. So the warning here is this last kingdom that will come on the scene has, does not have a cohesiveness to it. It will not be a full-strength nation. There'll be something wrong with it. There'll be, there, there'll be a, a mingling and a mixture there that will not allow it to have the complete cohesiveness that it needs. And notice the, the ten toes of the, of the image. Someone said one time, how do you know there were ten toes? Well, you take off your shoes and socks, start counting, and you'll see. You know, if you have more than that, um, you're very unique. If you have less than that, you had a problem along the way somewhere. But the, the ten toes of the image. Now, I don't want to get into it because it, it's not our purpose to do that right now. But every time you see... God saying, here comes the wicked nation. Here comes the wickedness upon Israel. You'll always read, but Messiah comes. Every time you read in Daniel, here comes the wickedness. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be cruel, but we win. 
And so we won't get into that winning part until we get back into the book of Zechariah. But always recognize God does not tell his nation they'll be defeated and squashed forever. He said, no, I'm sending someone. The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He's coming. He's the one that's going to make all this right, called the Prince of Peace. But what I want you to continue to notice here now is that God says these legs of iron and iron and clay, that is what we'll, we'll see as the kingdom of Antichrist. The kingdom of Antichrist. One day there is a king coming. Now we will not know him. We will not know him. Uh, if God's timeline stands secure and if what we see around us is truly uh, the last part of the last days, then, then Antichrist could be alive today, but we don't know who he is. We have no clue who he is. It's entirely possible that he's alive, but we do not know that. He may not be alive for another ten generations. We do not know that. But what we know is he will come on the scene, and as he begins, he will begin as some kind of prince in, in some nation of the world. Now, to follow this a little further, head with me to Daniel chapter 7 for a moment. Daniel chapter 7. Now Daniel has a vision. Nebuchadnezzar had a vision of gold, silver, bronze. Uh, he had a vision of external glory of a, of a kingdom. Uh, kingdoms of the world are known for their wealth, for their uh, magnificence, if you would. Um, they're known for their prosperity. When Daniel gets a vision from God, God shows him the internal fury of the kingdom. God shows him the, the underbelly, if you would. You flip over the rock. Here's what it's really like. And as God describes it to Daniel, the beasts, terrible beasts. Head with me to Daniel chapter 7, and I'd like you to see the fourth beast, if you would, please. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 7. Verses 1 through, uh, through 6 are... The, um, the empires, Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, and now notice Rome in verse 7. And after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly. The, the other beasts are descriptive beasts. There's something you can see, something you can recognize. You have a, you have a lion, for example. You have... A, you have a, an image that you can picture. Yes, I, I can see what that is. You have a lion. You have a bear. You have a, a leopard. But this last beast is a nondescript beast. We don't know exactly what this looks like. All we know, it is a horrible, terrible beast. Verse 7, And after this I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and exceedingly strong, and it, and it had a great iron teeth, and it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with its feet. And it was diverse from all the other beasts and the, uh, that were before it, and it had ten horns. Very significant now. We come up with the number ten again. There were ten toes on the image. The last beast that Daniel sees has ten horns as part of its, uh, part of its being. Remember, we have uh, Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, Rome, and now Kingdom of Antichrist. But I want you to notice, please, picking up in verse 8. And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them, remember there are ten horns, another little horn, before which there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes 
like the eyes of a man and a mouth uh, speaking great swelling things, uh, speaking, we'll see a little bit later, blasphemous things. So out of the ten horns comes a little horn. And what does he do? He pushes out three of the horns. And we'll, we'll be getting to all that, but keep, keep in mind now, ten horns, another horn comes up, pushes out three horns. And so Daniel is receiving all of these visions and all of this thought, and Daniel's head is swimming, as we'll see that in just a few moments. But this conflict between the horns, among the horns, remember what Daniel said, and uh, God said through Daniel, that this, this, this nation, this last nation, it's going to be partly iron and partly clay. There won't be a cohesiveness in. And we're beginning to see now from the ten horns that among the federation of nations that, that makes up the, the kingdom of Antichrist is going to be battles even within them. Now look with me, please, at uh, verse 15. Verse 15. And I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I guess so. Verse uh, 16, and I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of this. Uh, so he told me and made me know the interpretation of these things. Now, an angel is there speaking to Daniel. It could have been Gabriel, uh, because we have a couple angels that come on the scene. This may have been the pre-incarnate Christ. I don't know that, because he shows up. His goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. It could have been him. It may have been Daniel. I mean, it may have been Gabriel. I'm not exactly sure. But what I know is this, this angel, or this, the person of Christ, gives him the interpretation of this dream. Verse 17. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. So here's the key. What are these beasts? What could this all be about? I'm sick of reading this stuff. I don't understand it. Keep reading. Keep reading. Why? Because God's going to tell you what they are. What were they? They were, they were kings. So you don't have to go through some real imaginary thing about, you know, this is, this is the religious leader of the Roman church. No, no. Just keep reading. Keep reading. Keep reading. God's going to tell you who they are. What were they? They were kings. Four kings that shall arise in the earth. And we know them to be Gentile kingdoms. Up to this point, Israel under David and Solomon was the mightiest nation of the world until they turned against God. Through King Solomon, obviously, partially through David, then through King Solomon, and what happened? God said, I'm going to remove your kingdom, and I'm going to give world dominance over to four Gentile kingdoms. In verse uh, uh, 18, But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. In other words, we win. See, isn't that great? Yes, these beasts are going to come, but God is going to be victorious. God is going to do something uh, marvelous. And then Daniel says, and I would know the truth of the fourth beast. This beast is bothering Daniel something terrible. I, I want to know about this fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured in pieces and stamped the residue with his feet. I need to know about this, this last beast. We know it to be Rome. However, he says, within that last beast, I need to know, verse 20, of the ten horns that were in the head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth, and spoke very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. 
And I behold the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the ancient of days, until the ancient of days came on the scene. This fourth beast was a, this, this, this last beast to come on. It was this little horn. And notice in, in verse uh, 23, thus, the, uh, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all the other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. Verse 24, and the ten horns out of this kingdom, what kingdom's that? It's not Rome, but it's a, it's a part of the, what we'll call the revised Roman Empire. The legs come and toes come, the feet and toes come out of the legs. It's the, it's the last kingdom to rule the world. And notice what, what about it, verse 25. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change the times and the laws, and they shall be given unto his hand until the time and times and the dividing of times. Now what in the world does that mean? Well, this could have to do with this seven-year period of time, which we'll see in just a moment, of Antichrist. A seven-year period of time when there is, a, there is a time there, but that time is divided into sections. And we'll have to look at that. A seven-year period of time, a time, but there's a dividing of that time into different sections. And, of course, we'll look at this uh, as we progress uh, through it just a little bit. But I want you to notice... Out of, verse 24, and the ten horns, out of this kingdom are ten kings. So we have this, this, these ten little horns. Uh, one comes up and subdues three kingdoms. Now let's continue on. Look at chapter 8 for a moment, please. Romans chapter 8. God gives another beast to Daniel. Daniel must have been sick of seeing beasts, wouldn't you say? More beasts come. And what are this? Well, it's a ram. And it's a, uh, a ram with two horns, powerful, powerful ram. But then you have a he-goat, a small ram, if you would, with one horn. And they clash against one another. And we know that to be the, uh, the media persian Empire in, uh, in battle with Alexander the Great, his father first, and then Alexander the Great, with his great clashing. And... The media Persian Empire is destroyed, as we mentioned when we were looking through the book of Zechariah. The media Persian Empire is destroyed. They, they're made captive, and Alexander the Great takes over the known world. He dies, however. Many say it was some kind of disease, and we do not know exactly about it. All we have is history, but he dies, and four, four kingdoms take over in its place. Alexander's four generals, because he did not have a family to to turn the kingdom over to. He had children, but they were... Alexander didn't turn over to these children that he just uh, sired, if you would. So the kingdom was divided up into four different kings, four, his four generals. But what I want you to see is verse 9 now, verse 9. And out of one of them came forth a little horn. Again, a key, a little horn. We have this little horn showing up in, in, in the beast, the Roman beast. But first, the little horn now is, is going to travel a circuit down through what we know to be the Grecian Empire. And out of it came forth a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, 
and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. This positions this little horn. Where is he going to come from? Now, for the sake of time, I will just tell you, uh, if, if you uh, geographically lay this out, you'll see that it must, he must either be a Syrian or Jordanian in that area. A Syria, north and, and uh, east of the nation of Israel, um, a, a Jordan, uh, almost direct, directly east of the land of Israel. He's a Syrian or Jordanian. But what I want to do is follow this little horn for a moment, please. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. Well, let's keep on going, please. Yeah, let's go in verse 9. Verse 10 now. And it grew great even to the host of heaven and cast down some of the host and the stars of the ground and stamped, them, stamped upon them. So this is a supernatural situation where Antichrist is, is in fact going to be uh, privy to and, and be part of a, 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 a supernatural spirit being. And we'll, again, we'll look for the key there. Uh, verse 11, Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. So there's something different about this, this last beast, this last person. And notice, and the host of heaven was given to him against, and the host was given to him against the daily sacrifices by reason of trans, transgression, and it cast down the truth to the ground and continued and prospered. So you have this little horn now that, that comes out of Greece that's part of the Roman Empire as well. And you see this transgression where this little horn is going to have exceeding power. Incredible power, incredible ability. So that he stops the sacrifice in Jerusalem. He's able to stop the sacrifice among the Jewish people. Now, let's look, if we could, please, uh, at verse... Um, well, let's pick it up. I, I need to keep going along here so I don't get bogged down. Look at verse 15. And it came to pass when I, when, uh, when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought the meaning, then behold, there stood by me one having an appearance of a man. Again, uh, this is Gabriel in verse 16. And I heard the man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and, uh, and he and he called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So there... Perhaps the person of Christ is there, and he, and he shouts to Gabriel, Gabriel, tell him the vision. Now, Gabriel has no ability to know the vision in and of himself. It's because God had told him to give that vision. And notice what he says in verse 17. And he came near where I stood, and when he came near, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Now, this is so important for us. When is it going to happen? In the time of the end, or what we know to be the end times. This isn't going to happen in Daniel's day. It's not going to happen uh, at, in, with Daniel's predecessors. This, none of this is going to happen. This is going to happen at the end of the time, or the, what we know to be the end times. And we'll see that as we progress along a little, little bit here. But I want you to see, he says, uh, now he that was speaking unto me, verse 18, and I was in a deep sleep upon my face toward the ground, but he touched me and set me upright. And he said, behold, I will make thee 
to know what shall be in the last end of the, of the indignation. For at the time appointed, the end shall be. So God's letting Daniel know this is going to come at the end times. The end of whose time? Israel's time. Israel's time as a nation. This is when it's all going to take place. This is how it's all going to take place. Now again, he tells us who the ram is and who the he-goat is in verse 20. And the ram which you saw having two horns, these are the kings of Media Persia. Verse 21, and the rough goat is the king of Greece. So again, the key is given to us about these animals that come along. Now notice in verse, uh, in verse 22. Now that being broken, this horn that was broken... This, uh, the, and out of it came this little horn. Now that being broken, whereas stood up, uh, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand out of the nation, but not in his power. So again, the, there's going to be a weakness as, as the nations progress. There's going to be a weakness here. It, the, these four kingdoms from Alexander the Great are not going to be like Alexander the Great. Why? Because they're divided. They're divided. Verse 23, and in the latter times of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to a full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And here's something that is incredibly, incredibly important. And his power, verse uh, 24, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. See that? Not his own power. This last kingdom that's going to come, he'll be powerful. His kingdom won't be as cohesive as the rest of the kingdoms, but it won't be his power. It's going to be something, something different. You know, it's interesting. We, we come upon this person of Antichrist, and God says he's the prince of this world. Remember in, in John 14, 30, prince of this world's coming. Satan. Satan himself. Uh, he's the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself. The whole world lies in the hands of the wicked one, First uh, John five nineteen. Satan. Satan, we're going to see, is going to be the power behind the last kingdom of the earth. Now, please understand me. Every Gentile kingdom that has ever ruled the world has always been under satanic dominance. There's never been a good one. There's been some that have been nice to Israel, but they're always, every Gentile kingdom is under satanic dominance, one way or the other. And though some may help the nation of Israel, you say, well, what about our nation? Our nation, we're a great nation, and we want to help the nation of Israel. Wait a minute. We're going to see in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, that in fact, Antichrist helps the nation of Israel for three and a half years. So just because someone wants to help Israel for a while doesn't mean they're going to continue to help them. There's going to be a break there. As we study through this, it's so important for us to see the, this person of Antichrist. What's up with this guy? Well, he is the tool of God. He's going to be the tool of God. For what purpose? Well, again, that is going to be our study together. Now, I have 10 minutes left. So you need to buckle up here because we need to really get moving along. Okay, notice Daniel chapter 8 and verse 23. And in the latter times, we would call it the last days, the end days, the, the, 
the, the last times, the scriptures, the latter times. Uh, notice, when, pick it up in verse 23, and the latter times of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to a full. When transgression has come to a full, what does that mean? God will say, that's enough. That's enough. And God is going to now use Antichrist to judge what we know to be the known world. When God said it's enough. Now, it's interesting because we read from the scriptures, of course, uh, the Lord has been given the world time. He gives the world time. He's gracious. He's loving. He's kind. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of truth. But, Peter tells us, the day of the Lord will come. There's going to be an end to this. And, you know, you could go back, all the way back. We've been studying in our Sunday school about Abraham. And, of course, you recognize when, when God made a covenant with Abraham, he said, you, uh, know for surety that your nation will dwell in a land that's not theirs. We know that they were brought into um, Egypt. And what's going to happen after Egypt? They're going to be released. He says it's going to be about a 400-year period of time. Why? Because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. God was giving the Amorite people, the Canaanites, Amorites, the hill people. He was giving them opportunity to repent, but they did not. So God said, I'm going to bring in my people Israel under Joshua, and they are going to capture that land and destroy that land, or destroy their land and take it over, essentially. So God is, this is, this is the fullness of times. This is, if you would, it's the cup being full. In the book of Revelation, God says, put your sickle, he tells an angel, put your sickle into the earth. Why? Because their iniquity is full. There's a time of judgment coming upon the world. You say, well, you know, are you going to march up and down the street saying the end is near? I don't need to. God already said it. I don't need to stand up with a sign. God said it. And every word of God is pure. Every word of God is perfect. It's going to happen. When will it happen? When the end comes. When is that? You don't know. Neither do I. You can't even begin to think about it. You say, well, God's got to come back quickly because. No, he doesn't. He's going to come at a time when you think not. It's up to him. It's not up to us. It's not us. But what's interesting now is, we're progressing down through the Old Testament, and everything is about Israel. Everything's about the people of Israel. Everything's about Antichrist and Israel. But God has something very, very uh, special in mind, and that was what we know to be the Gentile church, that you and I. Jews and Gentiles, one in Christ. After the Roman Empire, God began what we know to be under, of course, the Lord Jesus as well. Many shall come from the east and west and sit down with me in my Father's kingdom. Remember when the, uh, um, the Roman soldier uh, asked Jesus to come and heal his servant. And he said, I know you can do it. You can just speak from where you are. And, God, and the Lord Jesus says, I have not found such faith, no, not in Israel. It is a, it is a Roman soldier that had more faith than my Jewish people, than my nation of Israel. And so God says he is going to uh, deal with the nation of Israel, but in between there is what we know to be the church age. It's lasted almost 2,000 years, and we'll see that. But what we want to recognize is when Antichrist comes, there's going to be something unique about him, 
it will be not his own power. And so when you go back into Zechariah and you're reading about what's happening here, how is this happening? How, how could he take over the entire nation of Israel? How can he be destroying Israel? Why is Christ waiting till this time? You're going to see it's her seed, the seed of the woman, and Satan's seed. That's the battle. That's the battle going on. Okay, I have five minutes. Head with me, please, to Matthew chapter 24. Now, you can look at the synoptics on this, but we're going to pick it up right in Matthew chapter 24. How is this all going to happen? Well, in Matthew chapter 24, our Lord Jesus lays out something very nicely for us. And we won't, again, we, we, we're going to skip over a lot of this uh, as far as uh, time sequence is concerned. But our Lord Jesus is there in Jerusalem. This is the last few days. He's now going to be crucified up in Jerusalem. And his disciples are showing him, the, he's up on the temple mountain, they're showing him the buildings of the temple. And the Lord Jesus said, this coming a day, verse 2, Matthew 24, this coming a day when there will not be one stone left upon another here. And of course, the disciples are horrified. They're shocked by that. So they, they leave the temple mount and they head toward the east. So they go down in what we know to be the, the, the Jordan Valley there. Not the Jordan Valley, I'm sorry, Jehoshaphat's Valley. They go down in through there, and they go up on the Mount of Olives. And that's why this is called the Olivet Discourse, up there in Olives. A part of all, all this, there's several Olivet Discourse, but on the Mount of Olives, right up there. And now verse 4, and Jesus answered, and they asked the Lord a question, verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and notice the rest of that, and the end of the age, or the last days. When will this happen? Remember, Daniel said all these things are going to happen in the last days, the end times, what we know to be the end of, of days. And our Lord Jesus is now going to tell them, when shall these things be? When will the temple be destroyed? And when will, what will be the sign of your coming in the last days? Pick it up, please, in verse 4. Verse 4, and Jesus answered and said unto him, Take heed that no man deceive you. He's talking to who? New Testament, a born-again believers. He's talking to New Testament. This is not Old Testament Israel. He's beginning the process of bringing his church in. These men that he's talking to right now are going to go from Old Testament believers to New Testament born-again believers. And they're going to march from one dispensation right into the next. Well, they don't know it, <laughs> but that's what's going to happen to them. So he says in verse 4, Jesus answered and said, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for these things must come to pass. Now let me, let me, let me back up to Antichrist. When does Antichrist come? In the last days. What's going to be the scenario of Antichrist? He's a little horn, and what does he do? He pushes out three horns, right? The Lord Jesus is letting his disciples know as they write down the foundation of the church, we know, as they write about his work, his work, the Lord Jesus, that there's coming a time when you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but that's not the end. Why? Because Antichrist is going to be trying to secure a position in the world. It will be more than 
what we know to be true today. For example, uh, World War I, the war to end all wars, that wasn't it. How about World War II, the, the, the hundreds of millions of people that, that were engaged in battle and the, and the millions that were killed in battle. There were, there were six million Jews were killed. Uh, but that was just a, a drop in the bucket compared to the rest of the, the world that, that uh, millions and millions of, of Russians were killed, millions of uh, Polish uh, people were killed. The, the entire world was at war, but that wasn't the last one. When the last one comes, it's going to be something that the world has never seen. Incredible, incredible battles. But what's going to happen? Well, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. So that a lot of people today, they really go by the thought, well, you know, there's a lot of wars going on today. No, no, this is not, these are not the wars that God's talking about. This is not the battles that God is talking about. What will happen in verse 7? For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, that will be important to us the next time we meet together. We're going to see that this last period, this last day, and we're going to go right back to Daniel to look at it, this last period, this last time will be divided up into two three-and-a-half-year periods of time, or 42 months or 1,260 days on both sides. The beginning of sorrows. Antichrist is going to come on the scene, and at first he's going to sign a covenant with Israel. We'll see that in Daniel chapter 9, verses, uh, verse 27. He's going to sign a contract with Israel. Israel's going to be at peace for the first half of the tribulation period. Then Antichrist comes on the scene. Why? Because he becomes indwelt, not with his own power with the power of Satan. And once that happens, that's when he begins the process of turning against the nation of Israel. And eventually, God is going to destroy his kingdom. And that will take place in uh, Jerusalem. So, to know what Zechariah uh, chapters 12 through 14 mean, you really need to transgress through the whole Bible. You really need to see how this all fits together. Why? Because Zechariah is talking about Jerusalem, and that translates to us as New Testament believers as well. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Father, as we uh, struggle to put these, this picture together, we know, Father, in your eyes, it's very plain, it's very clear. But, Father, help us not to get caught up with what people think and what people say, but rather what the Word of God plainly points out. We know there are, there are uh, little idiosyncrasies to this that uh, we just need to march through. We need to take time to look at. We need to, to put it in a timeline so that we can understand how this all works. But, Father, we know your plan is not a surprise to you. It's not something that will take you and shock you. You have a plan, Lord, and we know you are going to use the wickedness of men and the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring everlasting peace upon this planet. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.